what we did have in the political science department, and I think almost every department in that era, is a distinction between the scientists and the theorists. And I was a political theorist. And I, I really enjoyed teaching the history of political theory, but then I began to see that the history of political theory, as I, I taught it out of a textbook by a man called Sabine, um, was itself very skewed because it was going through the writings of authors and picking out little bits that were political and teaching that, which was artificial. You weren't really understanding these thinkers by just understanding little political bits of their thought. It's a long time now since I've thought about these things, and there's something in me that doesn't even want to bring the topic up. But I do have to tell you that when I came to Cal, the department, um, well, they were, they were, the, the department as a department was very opposed to what I was doing when I was in the anti war movement, except for the theorists. And the, I think the Vietnam War led to a uh, sort of civil war inside the political science department when the political theorists, all of them, decided they're going to leave and start their own department of political theory. And this is where what you said about being imperial comes in, Aaron, because the political science department said, we're glad to see you leave and start your own department, but it cannot use the word political. We are political if you leave, you are not political and you'll have to call it something else. And so uh, Sheldon Wolin went, who was the best mind in that department, as far as I'm concerned, but a theorist. He went to Santa Cruz and ultimately Princeton and wrote a very good book about America. Uh, that was the best. You know, there, there were good people in political science, but they were they were the people who were uncomfortable with political science. It wasn't just me, I feel. Yeah, when I was at Temple, I it, it's a lot of it is ahistorical. Like it, it really just looks at, at things as though there's just a snapshot in time, you know, or maybe other snapshots in time, but it really is not so historically informed. And they're so conditioned to think about things in this sort of sterile generic um you know it's not jingoistic but it's very sterile and, and so apolitical i mean it's that's the yes. ironic thing and parenti used to say this too that it was you could call it something like apolitical science and it was it, it, the norms were so ingrained in people that the norm that you weren't supposed to bring norms or morals into your analysis was so ingrained that even if if I were describing things without really judging them one way or the other, like if I would start to speak about comparative politics and the various regime change coups and other interventions of the U.S. in the developing world, they would they would accuse me of like you bringing norms into political science, even when yeah. I wasn't even doing it, even when I was only trying to be historical and descriptive. It, it they had the reaction of like, no, this is a taboo subject. I mean, it's, it's uncanny. To tell, to say that you must not bring norms into political science is to establish itself a kind of norm, which is that you should think like a computer. You should not think like a human being. And to me, that is the exact uh, pinpointing of the problem that we have, that 
people who are human beings go into bureaucracies and learn to think like bureaucrats and do things as bureaucrats that they would never tolerate doing as a human being. And that's uh, this is indicting communism, capitalism, all of them, that uh, the way we uh, bureaucratize uh, political decision-making is, uh, is, is a terrible problem everywhere. And, uh, I mean, like this business of allowing Afghanistan to starve, uh, as human beings, we wouldn't do this. As bureaucrats, uh, they're quite happy to do it. Uh, that's why I got out of the foreign service. I could see it beginning to happen to me. Well, no, that's there's more to that. We well, we'll get that. we'll we'll, we'll get to we'll that. Come to that. <laughs> before we before we leave McGill, I feel like this is something that people will be interested in. So I can't I can't not uh, ask you about this. Your that was when you began your friendship with the recently departed Leonard Cohen, right? That was at McGill. And yes. how how did you all become become friends uh, in the first place? Well, I was a poet, and my father was a poet. By the way, my grandfather was a published poet, uh, and uh, there were not terribly many poets in Montreal in those days. So we all got together. I um, I knew an adult poet too, Louis Dudek and Irving Leighton. And they told me about a very promising young poet, uh, Leonard Cohen. I think, I don't know if I met him first in 52 or 53, but he was an undergraduate. The year I remember vividly with him, that uh, was when was my first teaching year at McGill uh, in 1955. He would have been, I think, a junior then. I was engaged by them to someone I'd met in Cambridge, and uh, he had a friend down in Providence, and he taught me to, how to drive when we drove together down to... Uh, he dropped me off in Cambridge and went on to Providence. She's now an artist, and Frida's has kind So we, we met in two different kinds of ways. We met in actual little sessions of poets uh, that ended up with my father and me and Leonard in the same group. And the, if, if people have seen the movie, I'm your man, there is a still photograph of that group, which I'm not in because I was in Europe by then. Uh, but I saw Leonard that way, but also I saw him just, a, there was a, a little cafe very close to the campus. Uh, it was called Cafe Andre, but because there was a brother Andre who had a huge shrine for Roman Catholics up on West Mount Mountain, we used to call it the shrine. And it was, uh, it was where all kinds of interesting people would meet and drink. There were poets, all kinds of people. And I saw him that way. Uh, but probably the longest single time with him was that long drive down to uh, Massachusetts and back. That was just an excerpt from the American Exception podcast. To hear the whole episode, as well as archived and new episodes, please subscribe to the American Exception podcast at Patreon. There's a link in the show notes, or you can just go to patreon.com slash American Exception. 
subscribe, and you can join us as we illuminate the dark side of the U.S. empire.